guys. Good to see you today. When we started this how-to series back in September, there was a, a veritable flood of requests that came in. As we've been going through the practicalities of the Christian faith, like what does it actually mean at a nuts and bolts level to follow Jesus in our world today? There was a number of things that, that we as a staff wanted to share that we felt were vital, but there was a number of things that actually came from you. And that's what we're going to be hitting today is one of these, and it's one that came in overwhelmingly. One that I have had the opportunity to talk with people extensively about one-to-one that came through in texts or emails or conversations. And, and, and here is the question. Here is the how-to. How do I deal with loneliness? Today we're going to be talking about how to be lonely. And the Bible actually speaks into this. And I've got to tell you, my experience is that a lot of people I meet are lonely. Some choose it in the pursuit of dreams or careers or goals or agendas. They sacrifice other people. Oftentimes, it's not an intentional choice going, I will sacrifice my wife and children for this. It just kind of happens. As the priorities shift to this, Meaningful human connection gets relegated to that with the self-imposed lie that it will always be there, that, that it's stable and secure and, and foundational so I can count on it no matter what I do to feed into it. And so some, unwittingly, I would add, end up choosing loneliness. You move away from family because land is cheaper an hour away. You take a new position. And in so doing, you move out of state and sever connection except for social media with your closest friends. You move away to college. And your entire support network is now somewhere behind, and it just happens in the process. Some, I find, want to change it. They know they're lonely and they want to change it, but they're afraid to do anything about it. They're afraid to let their guard down. They're afraid to step across their own emotional line to engage with another human being that they don't know and don't have 25 years of history with. They're afraid to get involved. They're afraid to let people see who they truly are. They're afraid to be honest and genuine, because maybe I'll be judged, maybe I'll be rejected, maybe I'll be laughed at, maybe they'll think I'm weird, maybe it will be awkward from here on out, and it strikes me, most of us have really never left junior high, <laughs> at least emotionally, and some have loneliness thrust on us. Your husband dies and there's nothing you can do about it. She leaves you. She breaks up with you. You have a falling out with the person closest to you in your life, and you know that to backtrack into that would be in some way toxic or damaging. 
but it doesn't change the fact that now what remains is this sort of gaping hole of loneliness. Now, my experience is a lot of people are lonely. How about you? I find that people can surround themselves with people and still be lonely. People can stand in the middle of a city like Chicago with so much energy and so many people all around and be utterly alone right there in the middle of a crowded city block. I, I've met people who can be in a family. I'm talking a big one. Or you even have the in-laws living with you and there's kids everywhere and yet they feel utterly alone in that place. I've met people who go to schools, 500 people in their class and they don't feel like they're actually in connection with anybody. I've met people who move to neighborhoods and have lived there for 15 years and still don't know their neighbors and they don't know them and feel alone. I meet people who come to churches and we sit in a room with 200 people. And we sit in this room with them every single week and we see people sitting at tables and we see people chatting with their friends or so we think and we see people doing this kind of stuff and you sit here and it's like three years later and you're like, I still feel alone. My experience is a lot of people are lonely. And the Bible speaks in to this idea of loneliness. And before we go further, I just need to clarify something. When I talk about being lonely, I am not talking about being alone. Because loneliness and being alone are two very different things. Most people don't believe this when I tell it to them. And only those who know me actually really well get this, but I'm actually an introvert, which means I love being alone. It's when I'm alone that I refuel. I come out of this on Sunday morning and I have to like sleep in a comatose state for 36 hours. You know, you know what I mean? Other people feed on this and I'm just like sever all human contact. And the family knows, give dad a wide berth. It's Monday. You know, there is not going to be more than one word answers coming today. I think it's because of that. There's this story of Jesus I want to read you today. And I, and I resonate with this because we all want to make Jesus in our own image, don't we? And I just kind of read into the lines of this, this, I think he gets my struggle. This comes out of Mark, it's chapter one. Let me set the context for you really quickly. Jesus comes out of the scene and he does some pretty amazing stuff. He casts a demon out of someone publicly and everyone sees it and everyone is mesmerized by it. And they start bringing their sick, their demon possessed, their hurting to Jesus. Jesus has compassion on one of them. He touches this, this woman and, and this fever that's been plaguing her leaves and she's healthy and strong again. And the word gets out. Look at this line. That evening after sunset, okay, don't miss that. In the evening after sunset, not in the day during working hours. That evening after sunset, 
The people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. Do you want to kill me? All of you gather at my door on a Monday, right after this. Oh my gosh. And he drove out the demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Isn't that weird? He would not let the demons speak because he knew they knew who he was. Wouldn't you think Jesus would want the word getting out everywhere? Now, there's a lot of theories on this, but I'm going to give you my pet one, which is probably wrong, but I like it. My gosh, I'm dealing with this many people already. This stupid demon won't shut up. How many more are coming to my door? Works for me. So check out what Jesus does. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place. Oh, brother, I get you. And he went there and prayed. But Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. Yeah, I know. (laughs) So look at what Jesus replies. Let's go somewhere else. To the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That's why I have come. Beneath the lines, let's get away from them. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, if you are willing, you can make him clean. And filled with compassion, Jesus reached out and said, I am willing, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. But Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. Don't tell this to anyone. I just had to deal with that nonsense in that town over there. Are you with me? But go, show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded you for cleansing as a testimony. But instead, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. And here is the saddest verse in the Bible. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. Jesus, my brother, the introvert, I get it. Because loneliness does not mean being alone. Do you know within the Christian community, going to ancient past, people would go out into the desert to separate themselves from human contact in order to be alone. And the reason they did it was not just to be alone for aloneness sake. They would go to do it to be with God. Because here is the fundamental truth of Christianity. You are never alone. You are never alone. There's this refrain. It pops up in exact verbiage, in exact form, like four, five, six times in the Bible. Here's how Hebrews quotes it. Never will I leave you, God says. Never will I forsake you. You are never 
alone. How does Jesus put it with his disciples? When he is about to leave them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go do my work. Make disciples of all nations. Baptize them. Immerse them into the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them everything I have commanded you. And here's the key line. And surely I will be with you to the very end of the age. Has the age ended yet? Then you are not alone. But Jesus, you're about to leave us. Like, we're literally going to watch you go up into space. You are never alone. Surely I will be with you to the end of the age. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Because what I found is you can be alone and not be lonely. You can be alone and not be lonely because when you come to terms with the fact that God is there, that can be some of the most intimate human contact that you'll ever share. And so to be alone is not to be lonely. And yet there are people I find who are surrounded by crowds and crowds of people and yet can feel lonely. I'm an introvert, and despite it, I have hundreds of human contacts a week with literally hundreds of people. And there have been so many times in my life that despite it all, I've been lonely. So when I'm talking about this thing called loneliness, Let's understand that what I'm not talking about is being alone. What I'm talking about is something different instead. It's what I can only describe as that lack of meaningful human contact. That lack of interaction with others that you care about and who care about you. It's sharing at some level. Going from being isolated, even if not physically, yet emotionally, to in some kind of meaningful contact in some kind of regular way with other human beings. And my experience is simply that most people are missing that today with more avenues and more venues of human contact ever imaginable in human history. It seems to me that more than ever in human history, people are lonely. So back to the question, how to be lonely, how to do it, how to do it really well, how to do it successfully, how to go, yeah, loneliness is for me, I want that. You wake up in the morning and say that? No, nobody does. Well, I do once in a while. But but I find there's ways that we practice it intently. We train at it. We train at it despite the fact that we say it's the farthest thing we want. Let me share three things with you today. Three things just in the short time we have to kind of scrape the surface on this. And the first I've seen is this. Run. If you want to be lonely, run. 
when the relationship gets hard? Run. When the friendship is inconvenient? Run. When the interaction starts to cost you something? Split. When it gets uncomfortable or doesn't fit your agenda, take off. Just keep running. I have met so many people who carry so much loneliness, who spend their entire life running from person to person, place to place, job to job, city to city, church to church. Because whenever something offends them, whenever something rubs them the wrong way, whenever something becomes difficult, whenever something starts to cost them, it's just simply easier in their mind to run away. If you want to be lonely, what I encourage you to do is run as fast as you can. Run as fast as you can today. Now, I do want to qualify this. There's a proverb I like. Better to live on a corner of a house Okay? Better to live on a corner of the house than share a house with a quarrelsome wife. <laughs> Who's making that their life first today? Some of you know this all too well. <laughs> for those of you who raised your hand, I will pray for you because I don't envy you after the service. Better to live on a corner of a house than to share a house with a quarrelsome wife. Let's agree on something. Sometimes it is better to get away. Sometimes there are certain relationships that just aren't, the juice ain't worth the squeeze. You know what I mean? Sometimes there are situations we find ourselves in that are damaging or toxic or simply aren't worth fighting for anymore. I get it. But there's some of us who have made an art form of it. Some of us who have made it a mantra and in a blanket way have seek to apply it to all things in all ways. And I'll simply tell you this. Sometimes it is better to live on the corner of the roof than to share a house with a quarrelsome wife. But understand that the cost of that may be loneliness. And so if you are going to run, you need to ask yourself, is it worth loneliness? because that very well may be its wage. But see, the way of Jesus is often a very different way. Don't you find that to be the case? That the way of Jesus often seems to be a very different way than the way that our world kind of sees things and the way that we're naturally inclined to act. And while Jesus would get away for a time to recharge, to find intimacy with the Father, Jesus nonetheless was one who invested in the hard relationships. He was the one who wasn't afraid to interact. He was the one who would get into the messiness of life with other people, even when it would cost him, even when it was inconvenient, even when it meant putting himself on the line. I love how the writer to the Hebrews puts it. He says this, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Let's encourage one another. 
Be there for one another, investing in one another. All the more as you see the day of his return approaching. Are you lonely here today? Are you running here today? Is it possible for you there may be another way? Here's a second that I want to share with you. Stay busy. Fill your life with busyness. Fill your life and your calendar with as many things as you possibly can. Giving yourself no margin for organic connection with other human beings. It's interesting, and parents, we're all there together. Have you realized how like our kids don't just naturally get together with other kids to play? It's schedule time. It's league time. It's organized team time with adults yelling at you and telling you how to play. <laughs> Have you thought about this? We give ourselves no margin. And then we, we kind of boast in our agony, don't we? We all lament to each other about how our schedule is so busy with a twinkle in our eye. As though we're accomplishing something great. Look at me. I suck. I fill my calendar. Aren't I awesome? And then we compare it. We laugh at the people. Yeah, I have nothing going on this week. And you're like, really? What's wrong with you? And how often I wonder do they look at us going, really, what's wrong with you? Fill your life with business. Some of us find ourselves in a place where it seems to be out of our control. We know that if we don't fill this calendar, it's all going to fall apart. And so we tell ourselves it's for a season. And sometimes necessity of life requires it. But don't think for a minute it comes without cost. Because what I find is that a season often becomes two, often becomes three, often becomes four, until before you know it, a season is the normal way of life as we live in eternal winter of lack of meaningful, organic connection with other human beings. And how many people that I can share with you and have seen myself doing in my own life that after so many seasons of busyness and our friendships fade and we have nothing more to talk about with those that we love because shared experiences simply don't fit in anymore. And those rare occasions when there is a gap on the calendar, we don't know what to do. We're kind of caught, like, shifting from fifth to first. And the gears are grinding inside, and we don't know how to come out a red line. And so we fill it with more busyness just to fill the void. You know, I find that, like so many things, though, God has another way. God has a different way, different in his intention. Let me share this verse with you. 
You probably like memorized it if you grew up in the church like in fifth grade. And you probably laugh at it or ignore it like I do today. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Do you realize that that doesn't mean going to church? Read it. Exodus 20, Deuteronomy 5. It's two places, same command. It gives a different spin in each place. Exodus 20 will say, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy because the Lord your God took a Sabbath day and made it holy, that he did work on six days and rested on a seventh. So you do work on six day, rest on a seventh. And rest doesn't mean like lay around. Rest doesn't mean take a long neck, though it can include that. Enjoy my world. Enjoy my creation. Isn't six days enough to have to labor and toil and strive? How many of us can't even carve out one day? Even as I speak, how many of us here have our calendar loaded, our to-do list loaded, our tasks that we have to get to? When is the last time you've even taken half a day is it under any wonder that we're lonely? I love Deuteronomy's spin on it. Deuteronomy's spin on it is this. Take a Sabbath day because you were slaves. Slaves don't get a day. Slaves have to work every day, but in God's hands you've been redeemed. You are no longer slaves. Embrace your freedom from slavery. How many of us willingly step back in to the pattern of slavery? The Catechism of the Catholic Church knocks this out of the park. I want to read to you today an excerpt from it on the concept of the Sabbath. God's action is the model for human action. If God rested and was refreshed, on the seventh day, man too ought to rest and should let others, especially the poor, be refreshed. The Sabbath brings everyday work to a halt and provides a respite. It is a day of protest against the servitude of work and the worship of money. Do you ever think of Sabbath as defiance, as a protest statement against the absolute servitude to work and achievement that strangles meaningful human contact in the world today. You want to be salt and light. You want to be a prophetic voice to the world and to those you love. Do something crazy. Dare to rest and show how God can hold not only creation, but time in his hand. There's a story I want to share with you. It's one I need to read on occasion to myself. I've seen it set in different places. This one's set in Brazil. It's called The Fisherman and the Businessman. There was once a businessman who was sitting by the beach in a small Brazilian village. As he sat... He saw a Brazilian fisherman rowing a small boat towards the shore, having caught quite a few big fish. The businessman was impressed and asked the fisherman, how long does it take you to catch so many fish? And the fisherman replied, oh, just a short while. 
then why don't you stay any longer at sea and catch even more? The businessman was astonished. Well, this is enough to feed my whole family, the fisherman said. So the businessman replied, well, what do you do for the rest of the day? And the fisherman said, well, I usually wake up early in the morning, go out to sea and catch a few fish. Then I go back and play with my kids. In the afternoon, I take a nap with my wife. And evening comes and I join my friends in the village for a drink. We play guitar, sing, and dance through the night. The businessman offered a suggestion to the fisherman. I have a PhD in business management. I could help you become a more successful person. From now on, you should spend more time at sea and try to catch as many fish as possible. When you've saved enough money, you could buy a bigger boat and catch even more fish. Soon you'll be able to afford to buy more boats, set up your own company, your own production plant for canned food and distribution network. By then you will have moved out of this village into a bigger city where you can set up an HQ to manage your other branches. The fisherman continues, and after that? The businessman laughed. After that, you can live like a king in your own house, and when the time is right, go public and float your shares in the stock exchange, and you will be rich. And the fisherman asks, after that? The businessman says, after that, you can finally retire you can move to a house by a, a fishing village, wake up early in the morning, catch a few fish, then return home to play with your kids. Have a nice afternoon with your nap, uh, with your wife and have a nap, and when evening comes, you can join your friends for a drink, play guitar, sing, and dance through the night. And how many of you are hating me right now for the message I'm bringing? How many of you are sitting there right now going, you're just riling up inside. Take it up with him. Because I tell you, when I preach to you, I preach to me. And all I can share you is take it up with him. Fill your calendar and be successful. Just don't be surprised if the cost is loneliness. I'd like to share with you one more way. One more way to be lonely. To make loneliness a reality in your life today. Insist on your own independence. Make sure that you are autonomous. That no one is around to tell you what to do. No one is there to interfere with your plans, your agenda, or your life. That all relationships are kept at a surface level friendly, but there's no place where you have to actually give of yourself. I love this line. It comes out of the beginning of the Bible. God has just made his creation. Sin has not entered the world. And God says it's very good. But do you know what? It really wasn't yet. Look at what God says. Even in his perfect creation, if I can use such language, God says it is not good that the man is alone. You know, it might be better to live on the corner of a house than to share it with a quarrelsome wife. But it might be better. It just might be better 
to allow your autonomy and insistence on independence to take a back seat to more important things like sacrifice. Because real human interaction, marriage is a great example, but I'm not talking marriage alone. To really invest in another person and allow them to invest in you requires things like compromise, sacrifice, setting aside of your own desires and agendas, willing to put your dreams on a certain level of hold, maybe to never be achieved for meaningful connection with another human being. And as long as you insist on your way all the way, your dreams and only your dreams, your freedom at all cost. I hate to say it, but I think the odds are in favor that you will be lonely. Jesus has a different way. It has a different vision for what humanity is supposed to be about. And it can be summed up in a word that gets bastardized today, but I'm going to go with it nonetheless. It's a word called community. Jesus never had a vision for isolated individuals all doing their own thing. Jesus had a vision for people who were interconnected and interdependent with all the sacrifices and inconveniences that it would bring. Jesus had a vision of how it would manifest in this world today. He would use the word church for it, but not church how you think it means or what it think it should be. Something different than just a building that you go to. Something different than a collection of spiritual services to access, like going to a restaurant. A bunch of autonomous individual people eating from the same menu in the same place. No, he saw something different. Togetherness. People interacting, people doing life together. The Apostles' Creed would put it this way. I believe in the Holy Catholic Church. The universal church is what it means. The communion, the oneness of the saints, not people with halos on their heads and stained glass windows, those who call on Christ's name, a vision for a oneness among people who are different, who bother one another, who get on each other's nerves, who infuriate each other and make life inconvenient but never, ever lonely. Here at FOF, we've tried to tap into this. We do it so imperfectly in reality. But let me share with you the dream. This comes out of one of our value statements where we talk about genuine community. And we just say at Fellowship of Faith, we never want to be a sea of nameless faces. 
One of the primary reasons this church began in 1999 was because a group of believers wanted to become a church where people are in relationships with each other in the way that Jesus describes. If you're with us long enough, you'll hear this eventually. We'll say we want to be an Acts 2 church. Let me quote that passage to you. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to fellowship. They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they even gave to those, to anyone as he had need. Every day, every day they gathered, continuing to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. It wasn't just about walls like this. And they were happy about it. It says they did it with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people, and the Lord added to their number daily. That those who were lonely around saw what they had and said, I want that too. The Lord added to their number daily. Those who were being saved, being saved from the patterns of this world, being saved, from the kingdom of darkness, being saved from their sin, being saved from perpetual loneliness. And if you are here today finding yourself chronically lonely, know that you are never alone. And yet, and yet maybe take hold of God's recipe for the path out of that loneliness. It's what God wants for you. So today we commune. It's an expression of a togetherness that's supposed to be a reality, a oneness with God but also a oneness with each other. The Bible talks oftenly about examining our hearts before we come, and I think we often do this the same way. Okay, God, what sins have I done? Approach it a different way today. Lord, in what ways am I manufacturing my own loneliness? In what ways am I culpable? for insisting on my way rather than your way. And as you come to this meal today, know that God will meet you there. And know that these brothers and sisters in Christ around you are standing with you there in that place. And there, choose God's plan for a different way.